So we have reached the last psalm in our journey through the psalms, top 40 psalms. This is psalm number 150. Welcome to episode number 159 of More Than Bread. I'm still Dan, all the way through your host for this podcast, host, psalms guide, pastor, husband, father, grandfather, son, brother, and Bible reader. For the last two to three months or so, we've been on a journey through the psalms. Not all of them, Initially, it was going to be my top 40, but you've added a few and I've added a few. We'll end up somewhere between 45 and 50. I haven't counted exactly yet, 45 to 50 of the 150 Psalms. And and while I hope that my comments, the background context and the stories I've shared have added value to your listening time, honestly, nothing is of greater value than the simple words of Scripture. I've said it multiple times, but when the Spirit of God breathes life and power and purpose into the people of God through the Word of God, that's that's when we thrive. It's not not just the printed text. It's the Spirit working through the Word. But when that happens, my goodness, thriving comes. We need more than bread. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God, inspired and empowered by the Spirit of God, so that Jesus, the Word of God, is formed in us. So we have this episode, maybe one more, and then we'll do a wrap-up on the Psalms, maybe one or two episodes there. Maybe we'll we'll get through this week. I'm not sure. And and, and again, this is the last time I'll say it, but I'd love to have you help me with a wrap-up. If you're listening to this in, in kind of the real-time drop, um, you, you got a, another couple of days to, to do that. I, I don't really have the means to invite each of you on the podcast, but I don't know. I'd love to share some thoughts from you. So I've been asking, what's your takeaway from this time in the Psalms? Perhaps it's done something for your prayer life, or there's an attribute or a quality of God that over and over again has saturated your mind. I, I talked to one person today who, it, it's been great, but there's a, a struggle with what we call the impeccatory Psalms, and I, I'll talk about that a little bit in the wrap-up too. Maybe there's an attribute or a quality of God that over and over again has saturated your mind. Maybe it's a, a promise or an example. Maybe you've been moved, this is part of it for me, by the authenticity of the writers, and it. It's kind of giving you the courage to come to God with your real face. I don't know, whatever it is. Just write me a line or two or a paragraph or two and send it to me at dan at calvarysc.org or respond to my last D news. I, I did two of them this last week. That will work as well. And and even if you're getting this after I've done the wrap up, I'd still love to hear um, what Psalms meant to you. You can still do it even if it's weeks and weeks past Um the, the real-time finish of, of Psalms here in September of 2023. Okay, enough of that. Let's let the last Psalm soak into our souls. It's a, it's a short one, but it's got some good stuff in it. I'm reading from the New International Version. It starts with a hallelujah, and it ends with a hallelujah. If you listen to the last episode, you know a little bit of, uh, about that hallelujah word. And in between is a whole bunch of hallel, praise God. So here it is. Praise the Lord, or hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
the, the psalm is the grand finale of the book of Psalms, and it's not just any ordinary psalm. It's a celebration of praise. It's a, it's a cosmic symphony of worship and a reminder that our connection with God goes far beyond the daily bread that we seek, even to a greater extent than Psalm 148. Psalm 150 is often referred to as the hallelujah chorus of the psalms. It's another call to cosmic universal praise and worship. All people everywhere, everything that has breath, what makes it a bit unique is in its call is is the mention of a wide range of musical instruments, including trumpets, harps, lyres, tambourines, strings, flutes, and cymbals. It, it's not just all people called to praise God. It's everybody in every way with everything that you can imagine. There's no bad instruments. I grew up in a church that felt like the only certain instruments were allowed on Sunday morning in the church worship service, like like the organ, maybe the piano, absolutely no drums, no guitar, maybe guitar in the evening. But but really, the, the psalmist here is saying all kinds of music, all kinds of instruments are involved in this praising of God. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him in the strings with the strings and pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Cymbals let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. More than once in this series on the Psalms, I've read a psalm to you in the words, the, the paraphrase of Eugene Peterson's The Message. Eugene was quite the scripture guy. He was also a worshiper. Uh, let me tell you a Eugene Peterson story. It's in the, the biography by uh, on Eugene Peterson um, by Wynn Collier, somebody that I, I've known over the course of the years. It did an excellent job. If you have a chance, you should pick it up. It, it was a few minutes after seven in the morning, and I, and I just want you to let this scene kind of play out in your mind. Eugene lived in Montana. The, the sun is streaming through her kitchen windows on this fresh Montana day. Jan Peterson scooped hot eggs onto five plates next to Scrapple and fried apple rings. Eric, she called, go tell dad breakfast is ready. Yes, ma'am, Eric answered. He ran to the stores that led down stairs that led down to his father's study and he stopped short. He knew that his dad would be intensely focused and immersed in quiet. But with a nine-year-old's mischief, he tiptoed down. He stepped onto the chilly, tiled floor and walked cat-like to the study door. Most days, his dad, Eugene Peterson, who would become the writer of the message, a paraphrase of the Bible, most days Eugene spent about an hour before breakfast reading scripture and a second hour reading commentaries, a hand-me-down desk set under a single window beside a bookshelf packed to the ceiling with books, a rocking chair, his favorite seat for reading set in the corner. Fluorescent lights hung from the ceiling, but Eugene rarely flipped on the cold lights. Instead, a lamp on the desk shed a warmer glow. The old communion table from their church, Christ our King, set against the wall, holding a pottery chalice and plate ready for wine and bread. And alongside them sat a single white candle with about a year's worth of wax splattered over its container. Are you picturing this scene? Picture a monk's cell. Pastor Pete's space. Eric turned the knob slowly, silently. He peered through the crack. And even now, decades later, as he tells the story to Wynn Collier, who would write the biography of his father's life, even now, Eric's eyes get wet as he shares the memory. A small woven rug lay on the tile floor before his dad's desk. Candlelight flickered. Eugene rested on his knees with a tallet, a 
tasseled Jewish prayer shawl wrapped around his shoulders, a Hebrew psalter on the floor in front of him. He rocked gently, engrossed in the world of the scriptures, surrendered to ancient prayers. Eric watched, hushed. He slowly closed the door and crept back upstairs, only a boy, but he knew that he had witnessed something holy. You see, he had stumbled upon a moment of worship, his dad in the presence of his father. I read those words in Wynn Collier's book, A Burning in My Bones, and it just kind of brought a holy hush to my breathing. It caused me to breathe deeply, just imagining Eugene breathing deeply of the breath of God, the presence of Christ. Let every breath praise the Lord. How do we do that? In in an out-of-breath world, right? We live in an out-of-breath world. In an out-of-breath world, how do we turn every breath into a moment of worship? How do we find those moments of pause that refresh our souls, breathing in the breath of life that comes from God, gathering strength for whatever is to come in the day to come or the, the night to come or the weekend to come? How do we breathe deeply in an out of breath world? So I think worship is one way that we breathe deeply. Worship is one of the activities most impacted by and most needed in our out-of-breath world. In fact, for a few moments, I, I just I want us to ponder how we can worship with every breath. Psalm 150, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with the trumpet sound, praise him with the lute and the harp, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe, praise him with sounding cymbals, praise him with loud clashing cymbals, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Psalm 150 goes from the majestic to the mundane, Praise God in his sanctuaries, in his mighty heavens. It reminds me of David's words in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. But then we move from the heavens declaring to people, declaring his goodness and his greatness, just just telling him thank you for who he is and what he does. And and from there, the psalm takes us to music, all types and and styles of of instruments, not not one instrument or style better than another. In fact, I bet some people in the days of Psalm 150 thought, oh my goodness, tambourine and dance? That's not worship. Who brought those loud clashing cymbals into the worship service? No, we praise him with all kinds of music. In fact, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It reminds me a little bit of John's description of worship in Revelation chapter 5. He writes, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them crying out to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. In fact, a literal translation of that Hebrew phrase could be, let every breath praise the Lord. Not just let everything that has breath praise the Lord every once in a while, but let every breath praise the Lord. From the majestic to the mundane, from the greatest grandeur to the most ordinary of moments, a breath from the heights of heaven to an unnoticed breath. But there are some qualities of true worship that are true whenever, wherever worship happens. For example, worship only happens when up there comes down here, right? Worship originates with God. 
Eugene Peterson used to say that prayer is always the second word. The first word is God's word. Prayer is our response to God's voice. So is worship. Worship originates with God. It's our response to the worth of God. Psalm 150 reminds us of this direction from the sanctuary of heaven to the breath of humanity. From the sanctuary of heaven up there <laughs> to the breath of humanity down here. If we think that worship is is primarily about our personal preferences of place and time and style, music, and we're missing it. Worship starts in heaven and, and it descends to the earth. Worship happens when up there comes down here. And, and, and it's happening all the time. Do you realize that? Every time we come to a moment of worship, it's already started. It's not waiting for us to come in. We always come in to worship in the middle of worship, like Eric stumbling into his dad's holy moment of worship. Every time your heart feels this sense to worship, every time we truly worship, we're stumbling into worship that's already happening. It's ongoing because all of creation, all of heaven is filled with worship. It never stops. All around us, from heaven to earth, we're joining the already happening, ongoing worship of heaven. And, and when we miss it, it's because our eyes are dull. Oh, it's because our eyes are dull to the wonder of God. Our minds are distracted by the story of the world. It's because we're seeking soul satisfaction in things other than God, because worship of God just like it comes up there down here, it starts with God. Worship of God happens when we find our deepest satisfaction in God. When Christ so deeply becomes our one passion that everything else is garbage in comparison, we find that our hearts are actually created to find their deepest satisfaction in God. Nothing else will satisfy. See, worship is not just telling God nice things about him so that he won't feel bad. Worship is what you can't stop doing because you have breathed deeply of God's goodness and greatness, and the worship can't be stopped. In fact, the psalmist writes in Psalm 146, verse 2, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God with my dying breath. See, no breath is wasted if every breath is worship. Listen, don't waste your breath. Let everything that breathes use every breath till our last breath so that no breath of worship is a wasted breath. Psalm 150 describes a worship that descends from the majesty of the heavens to every ordinary breath that we take, a never-ending worship that we stumble into every time we worship. Let every breath praise the Lord. It reminds me of the picture of worship that the writer of Hebrews gives us. It's the portrait of two mountains. And let me tell you what I believe. I believe that in our life, there's only two mountains. I think that's part of the message of Hebrews 12. We, we want there to be more mountains. We want to choose among many choices the mountain whose heights we desire to climb. And I, I want what I want to pursue as I climb my mountain. But there are only two mountains. There's no political power mountain or, or most popular mountain. There's no king of the mountain mountain. There's no king of the mountain mountain. There's no comfort, security, and stuff mountain. Just two mountains. And the first is described in Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 21, when the writer of Hebrews says, you have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind, like the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. You have not come to Mount Sinai, for they heard there an awesome trumpet blast and a voice, the voice of God, so terrible, they've 
begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, God said, it must be stoned to death. And Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I'm terrified and trembling. This is the mountain where the people of Israel first encountered God, Mount Sinai the mountain of God on the far side of the wilderness. After they were delivered from Egypt in the midst of plagues and curses, the angel of death, this is the mountain where Moses gathered the Ten Commandments, the rules for following God. This is the mountain where the people were so afraid, they said to Moses, you talk to God and tell us what he says, because if we talk to God, we're going to die. This is a mountain where God's voice staggers you, a mountain of darkness and gloom and fear. But (laughs) hallelujah, (laughs) hallelujah, this is not your mountain. This is not your mountain. This is not the mountain to which you have come. This is not the mountain to which you have come. This is the mountain of God before the cross of Christ. This is this is trying hard and failing often and never measuring up that mountain. This is the mountain of God's disappointment where God promises his power but not his presence because he won't give himself to us as we are. But this is not your mountain. Not if you believe in Jesus, not if you have surrendered to Christ, not if you have experienced God's grace and his heart opened up by the gift of Christ on another mountain. If so, this is not your mountain. Can I say it again? This is not your mountain. This is the mountain where you know what it takes to gain gain God's love, and you know that you can't gain God's love. This is the mountain where you're so conflicted because you don't want to go back, but you can't see the way forward. But this is not your mountain. If the unshakable Jesus has your life in his hands, this is not your mountain. And far too many of us are living like this is our mountain. But it's not. It's not your mountain. Listen to Hebrews 12, 22 through 24. The writer says, no, this is not your mountain. You have come to Mount Zion. You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels, to a joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. You've come to Jesus, the one who meditates the new covenant between God and people, to the sprinkled blood. You've come to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance. Did you hear that? You've come. It doesn't say one day you'll come. It doesn't say you're in the process of coming. It doesn't say, I'm not sure you'll make it. I hope you find your way. It says, you've come, you've come, you've come. You've come to a joyful gathering in the midst of worship already begun. This is your mountain. This is the Psalm 150 mountain. This is your home, a joyful gathering. And when you feel like your life is filled with dark alleys, and never-ending pits of gloom, even when all you can see is a barren wilderness. I'm telling you, there's more than you can see. You have come. You are there. You've come to the city of our living God. All around you is worship. Light is like the air that we breathe, and joy grows, grows on trees. You come to a city where worship never sleeps. When we worship, we never start it. We enter it. It's all around us. The angels cannot stop enjoying God. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Worship is simply the fulfillment of joy. A good meal is not finished until we praise the cook. A good joy is not finished till we praise the creator. Joy unstopping leads to worship that is unending. And this is your mountain. You've come to this mountain. When it's hard to worship because joy seems out of reach, this is still your mountain. 
The holy hallelujahs resound even if your heart can't hear them. The angels who threw a party when you came to this mountain will teach us the songs of heaven. Holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb who was slain. This is your mountain. You've come to this mountain. So let every breath praise the Lord. Listen again as I read this last psalm from Eugene Peterson's The Message. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God in this holy house of worship. Praise him under the open skies. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his magnificent greatness. Praise him with a blast on the trumpet. Praise by strumming soft strings. Praise him with castanets and dance. Praise him with the banjo and flute. Praise him with cymbals and a big bass drum. Praise him with fiddles and mandolin. Let every living, breathing creature praise God. Hallelujah. God, I pray that each and every person listening to this would know that that you are. Mount Zion is the mountain to which we have come. If we've entrusted our life into Jesus' care, if we've believed with faith on his saving grace that comes to us by his act on the cross, that we have come to Mount Zion. We've not come to that other mountain that's filled with fear and disappointment and never measuring up. We've come to the mountain of Zion, and in the mountain of Zion, there is never-ending worship. Every time we enter into a moment of worship, it's already started. God, would you give us a vision of that? Every moment of every day, every breath that we breathe, we're we're living, we're breathing in the midst of a chorus, a cosmic choir of worship. God, may our hearts resound with worship. May every breath that we breathe, breathe worship to you. God, we thank you for your grace. Pour your grace out upon each person listening. Hallelujah. Let every living, breathing creature praise God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.